Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Beard Cats. My guest is James DiGiulio, co-founder and chief product officer at Tongle, a platform that empowers content creators from around the world by connecting them with brands, causes, anybody looking for great creative work. Recently, they teamed up with Lionsgate, Women in Film, Facebook, and the author of the Twilight Saga, Stephanie Meyer, to present female filmmakers with the opportunity to create short films set in the Twilight universe. James has an interesting story because he transitioned from the traditional film industry having been the vice president of production at Paramount's Robert Evans Company, among other things, to launching the world's first studio on demand. In 2005, it would have been pretty easy just to write an algorithm that made lists for you. you know, like the like computer would call up an agency and be like, is this person available? And like, it would just do it. Like, you didn't, need even, you didn't even really need development execs then. But basically, you know, it was the same people getting all the work you know, I looked around at other studios and like the same names on like the lists at Sony and, and Warner's and yada yada. And I kind of came to the conclusion that the entire film industry was was like based off of only making job offers to people with lots of other job offers. So you see that there's the silos that all this talent exists in. And then on the other hand, you have this talent that's overpaid that could potentially hurt the business model of the studio system. Yeah, I mean, apply those, apply those economics. See, I learned something in college. Apply those economics to... You know, to any other real world thing, like, you, you know, pretend like there's only like 10 people that could fix your car, <laughs> you know, um, and that's just not the, it's just not the way of the world. And there's talent everywhere and people are, you know, connected and, you know, with, um, with where we are now in technology and access to things like, you know, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and, to, and Moore's Law. I mean, you know, small groups of people can do what only giant corporations could have only a few years ago. When you initially saw this job disparity, did you think there was a business opportunity? Yeah, it was just there's not an efficient, there's friction in the labor market for creative work. That was the first thing. It was like, you know, there's just, there's this, it's not, the right people aren't getting the right jobs. And everyone's chasing scarce resources, right? Hollywood's based on scarcity. There's only one Tom Cruise. And, and you know, that had economic impact to the point where you couldn't make a product anymore. Your main, imagine like, you know, Legos are big customer. Imagine if it costs a hundred million dollars to make a Lego. <laughs> right? I, I see. Yeah. There's, you, you're trying to find a creative uh, work for the individuals that could create content on various tiers, not only like the big tentpole projects. Yeah. So like in mid 2005, that was like, just in my myopic view of the world, it was, oh, people in LA who can write screenplays and who have access to cameras and equipment and stuff and editing and are who I thought were talented. Even people who like you know, had their bona fides, like had written on TV shows or were really funny or whatever, they still couldn't get good work. You know, it was very, it was still really scarce at the time. And it's only, that problem's only gotten exasperated. So you left the film industry to create a tech startup. Well, I took it, no, the, the first step along that journey was I'd left Paramount and um, my friend from college, Rob Salvatore, he, he'd been working in New York in financial restructuring, kind of looking at these um, you know, like restructuring big companies that were going into bankruptcy, right? So we always used to joke around like, oh, if I could ever restructure Hollywood, this is what I'd do. Because, you know, we did, a, when I was at, at, at Paramount, we did a movie, a, a romantic comedy with $4 million in the storyline and the budget. Wow. You know? So it was just like, ah, there's all these people out there who can do this job. There's just no efficient means to getting the people to do the work. You're talking about with Tongo, that's branded entertainment? I mean, it's any type of, right now it's this, really high level any type of creative work, right? So, so we started a company, basically developed content outside the studio system. So we went out, we actually optioned the rights to the National Lampoon Archive. And because there was this like cool thing, 
if in the 70s you wrote for the lamp 70s and 80s really if you wrote for the lampoon it was like the new yorker where they actually owned it at one point you know every great comedic talent of the past you know 30 years really passed through there at one point you know up until like more like contemporary people but like everyone from like larry david harold ramis obviously michael donahue was the first head writer saturday night live um john hughes famously right so so there was this thing where the John Hughes movies or Animal House or any of those. So there were all articles in the National Lampoon. So Chris Miller wrote an article about his fraternity at Dartmouth, and that became Animal House. In the early 80s, there was an article called Vacation 58 uh, that John Hughes wrote. Like literally the first line of the thing is like, it, it would have been the greatest vacation of all time if dad hadn't shot Walt Disney in the leg. And that became the movie. So we're like, oh, here's this treasure trove of great comedic stories. So that was kind of like all this IP to work from. Exactly. So we were like, let's just get all the IP we can get to work off of, all the basis stories. It had some cachet because it had been written by, you know, whomever, right? Uh, and we're developing stories out of that. So that was like the first step in just kind of like this alternative content development thing we wanted to do. Did you do an open source approach where anybody could offer their take on this IP? Or did you go directly to writers rep by management companies and talent agencies it was still a traditional approach and like no one had really been at that time we really didn't hear anybody say the words open source you know what i mean um so so we're i've been doing that um and then you know we had to raise financing for it right so um put money to work and and um one of the guys who invested in one of those funds uh was this guy uh who started a company who was like started a company called Topcoder, which I don't know if you know Topcoder, but essentially it's, I guess it's like Tongle. Uh, it sold last year but uh, it, to another company, but it's like Tongle, but it's for enterprise software development, right? So they built a network of, um, of basically software engineers in every corner of the globe. And they are really talented and, and they do work for IBM and the NSA and NASA and you know Google and whomever, right? Yeah. Um, and so it was like this idea, and it was really nascent at the time, but Jack was like, you know, you guys could ever find a way to apply this idea I'm kind of noodling on here, we built this thing, to what you're trying to do. It might be really interesting. Oh, so a whole new vertical came out of this uh, uh, investor? Like, what can we apply this kind of idea of open source, crowdsource, whatever you want to call it, development sort of on demand to creative work, right? So that was like this like big moment. It was like you know it's like the back of the napkin sketch thing, and we're like, huh. So you go from having all this IP to creating films to eventually getting this platform in mind and completely retooling your mission. Yeah, but it was well. I see. I don't think it was a retooling of the mission. I think it was just the more um, futuristic version of the mission, which was really, really taking advantage of the inefficiencies in the market and really making it more technical. So it was still wanted the right way to match talent up with work. That's what the, that's what half, the first company was called Half Show Entertainment. That's what that company was about, which was, how can we get the right people on the right jobs, right? Here, here's this huge, we can, like, there were writers that, that I knew who were really talented, who would get a studio job or a TV, you know, network job, or, you know, here and there, and, and, but they were just taking the job for the money, right? And so anytime you take a job for the money, you just, you know, you're taking a job for the money. You're not doing it because it's your passion, right? But I knew that if we could get these people who are really supremely talented and get them on things that they actually gave a shit about, they would do great work. And I, they did great work. You know, we were able to, you know, uh, we developed and sold the show to HBO and, and 
um, you know, got a couple things pretty far down the chain, but ultimately we're, we're running into enough success where it's like, we're still stuck in the old model. Like you said, like it's, we're still, it wasn't enough of a reset of the kind of status quo. So you were, were you in a way being influenced by investors with, coming from the Silicon Valley? I mean, no, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think so. It was, it was really like a lot of, um, high net worth individuals who thought it was interesting and fun or um, someone like Jack. So Jack wasn't in Silicon Valley, but he was in, he was on the East Coast. And- Actually, what I was trying to say was that somebody with a tech background would have new insights to solve problems in the film business. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, so it was just like, hey, it was just like kind of like a, um, like a, somebody came in and sprayed Windex on the glass for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, oh, okay, I see it now. And now that the Windex got sprayed on the glass, it was like, okay, so what are we going to do? So Rob and then our other, my other partner, Mark, we kind of looked at each other. We're in like this, uh, like I'd call a sleeper cell over here on Main Street in, in Santa Monica, like 300 square feet where we just stared at each other for a while. Um, we're running our other company out of and we're like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And we went through like over a year of just like, what's it going to be? How's it going to work? What's the point? You know, and it started off originally being like, okay, like someone's going to write a log line to a movie and then somebody else is going to come in and they're going to say, uh, they're going to write the next beat or this person's going to draft the first act, you know, and this person, it was like, how do we break up the development of a screenplay? How do we break up the development of a TV show, a reality show? What got you into the current iteration of Tongo that we see today? I didn't want to just be another guy in Hollywood with a screenplay, you know, because I'd been there. Right, so it was like even even we had all that, and even if like in, in like a year or two later, you started to see the crowdfunding start to take off. But like it was still going to be like, here's great material with no ability to bring it to market. So kind of taking a deeper dive, seeing advertising at first, right, and saying, well, geez, you know, that's a really expensive thirty second film, and we could have made one of these half shell movies for that much money, easily, right. Um, and that would have been a product that had some opportunity to monetize itself. And then saying, you know, if, if this is the way they're doing this still, and there's this internet that's, that's happening that these people, you know, the advertisers still haven't necessarily, you know, caught on to, right? YouTube had just really started to, to saturate, you know? Yeah. Um, and knowing that the future wasn't like expensive films for TV. I mean, you know, if you look, even looking back on it now, I guess it's like six years later, the advertisers by and large act like it was the Cosby show where it's, you can run an ad on TV and expect to get 35% of the viewing public. And that's just not happening. And even if, even if there was a show that got that much, that big of a rating, everyone else would be looking at their phone through the commercials if they're not looking through the phone at their phone during the show. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, it's like a, it seems like everything is starting to move into place and somebody at home with their cat could get more views than a TV show on like ABC. Yeah, because it's just, again, to go back to my original point, it was an industry built on scarcity, whether that's Madison Avenue or Hollywood, right? There's, there's only so many spots for an ad during the Cosby show. There's only so many theaters where you can, your movie can get you know, screened on, as you and I know. There are now, you know, a billion screens that your movie can screen on. So, so, you know, it was just, I, I, it just, it just seemed obvious back then. You know, it just seemed like it was just made sense. But I guess it was, you know, something different. After incubating your tech startup for a year, do you start reaching out to brands? So we had to build a technology platform. Okay. Right? So, so we had the one basic idea that I think influences everything we do, which is that a good idea can come from anyone anywhere. Uh, and regardless of technical skill or ability. So even though like the, the world is flat and 
you know, I can make a great film on my iPhone. Like, still not everybody can do that, but I do believe that everyone can come up with a good idea if they put their mind to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we never wanted to shut anybody out. And that's where kind of like the 140 character idea phase comes from. Like, remembering a story, like, I knew someone, we wanted someone to write a log line, you know? How are we going to facilitate that over and over, that dynamic? You're like this matchmaker, and uh, you just kind of create that way that anybody could get into the game. They don't even need a million followers because uh, when we were talking about these stars, like there's like the major stars in Hollywood, there's also stars online on Vine, and they're they're making a lot of money. So they've already become kind of like that celebrity. So you could get anything from them making submissions to somebody who just started making videos. Exactly. Exactly. And if you, you're it's going to happen before your eyes. You'll see it. Like it's the and that's why you know the maker deal happened. I think because the business's first reaction to it is let's just continue to chase scarcity, right? Not not knowing, not understanding abundance like we do, right? So 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 you just chasing scarcity. There's only going to be you know a certain number of YouTube stars, right? And I mean there will be a lot. It'll be way more than there are movie stars, but there's still only be certain numbers of people who are like the the most powerful people, and all the money will chase those people. So you'll have that sort of income inequality again where there's, you know, whatever. I heard that uh, um, PewDiePie makes like $4 bucks a year. That's awesome for him. But he's the Tom Cruise of uh, the web. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's great. And that'll probably be $40 million a year soon. And good for him. But, you know, there's a lot of other ways, I think, to monetize your creativity besides building audience. Now, how do you convince a lot of brands too, in my opinion, are pretty risk adverse to sign on. Uh, you know, at first it was that. At first it was like, hey guys, here's this thing and there's these, there are this, we're building this community and they're going to respond to this and they're going to do good work. People looked at us like, you know, we had like, you know, snakes crawling out of our ears. Like nobody believed it was going to happen, you know. Um, and so it took a long, like, you know, the, like it, I think it took us a couple of years to pay out the, like maybe like three years to pay out the first million dollars to the community. It, it took like, I think 18 months to get from a, a million to 10 million. So that's like the natural velocity of the business was that it took two years or two and a half, I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but it was like a long time, like two or three years to pay out the first million dollars to the community. And the second million happened in less time. What were the key milestones during that time? You know, I think adoption from a couple key clients, you know, like being able to romance, like I remember we, had a, we did a project with Barbie in like late 2010. And that was a huge step because it was, you know, one of the most valuable brands ever. Mattel went out and basically, you know, rewrote a lot of our legal documents too, which added another like a layer of... Uh, of fortitude onto it. Like, I think one thing that we don't ever really talk about, which I think is awesome, is how sewn up our system is and our processes are. Because they've been vetted by every giant legal team, you know, every giant corporation you can think of from movie studios to Microsoft. It's kind of a bulletproof contract. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and everyone's protected and we have everyone's best interest in mind, both community and, and customer. And, and I just think that we've got that to a good place and that's a pretty significant accomplishment. But, but anyway, so like that was a big moment. We had a, a video that got created on our site that, that really got picked up and went a little, was like the 10th most viewed video ever on Vimeo at the time, um, which was like an ad for duct tape. And, uh, and that gave us a lot of traction. It got out like us our first real editorial coverage of something that's a piece of creative that had come out of this community. Like I remember there was like an article in Ad Age saying like, is this the first ever like great crowdsourced ad, you know? 
and the crowd people just wanted to put a label on it calling it crowdsourced or whatever whatever um and uh and so that helped us a lot eventually you know getting uh you know getting like um a couple like good uh long-term customers like benjamin moore was like a great customer and a great team over there and and um really committed to this and like got great value out of it and then eventually um our first job with P&G was really, I thought was really important, was when Pringles was still a P&G brand, uh, doing a really successful program for them. And from what I'm told, it was like the first time, you know, Procter & Gamble, the world's biggest advertiser, had ever adopted a, like an alternative means to production that was able to get media spend because their legal signed off from it because of our process. And that, that really put us on a, um, a fast track. There's a bunch of middlemen in the world of advertising. So I see that Tongo is able to create a leaner way to make content. Oh, for sure. You know, it, it, listen, you know, if you look at anything, right, at any business that there's, you know, a, a heavy middleman in the process, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the agency is this big heavy middleman, but it's just a layer of complexity in the system, right? So at any internet business, right, where there's a, there's a third party that's kind of not, you know, basically between buyer and seller, that makes things more expensive really like simply like it just gets more expensive right but then if you can kind of streamline the process for doing work well then more value gets created and more value gets gets shared by both sides of the marketplace so the the director I mean, we have people in our community who have made half a million bucks doing this stuff you know we have a lot of people who have made over a quarter of a million bucks and even more have made six figures you know so people who really weren't going to have any access to work are making six figure incomes off of tongle so yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. So people are making a living from your platform. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's Not everybody. I mean, like you know. Oh yeah. No, I didn't mean that every person who's submitted a video is like driving around like a Benz, but just there are, <laughs> there are opportunities for people who are talented there. Completely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, there's probably a handful of people who like I think it's their job to tunnel. What was a surprise, you know, that you've seen from the crowdsourcing uh, approach that you didn't see getting into this business? You know, every once in a while, we'll do something that we think the community's like, oh my God, the community's going to like, they're going to go nuts over this project, right? Because we thought it was sexy and they wind up not, you know, and then they're going nuts over some other, like you get over participation on a different type of project, product and project. And it's just like, you can't, it's really hard to, it's really hard to understand what kind of results who's going to get. Like sometimes the least sexy brands get the best results. I can imagine that your Twilight project probably gets a pretty passionate response. Well, I mean, yeah, it has it has yet to go live. Hopefully it'll be live in the next week or two. But I, I it's already gotten an incredible response online. And, I, you know, I, it's the grand prize itself hasn't been announced yet. Um, but listen, it's an opportunity to play with some of the most valuable IP in the world, something that's got a huge following digitally, right? Huge, passionate fan base. Man, it was Star Wars for a different generation. You know what I mean? a different demographic and, and I just think that you know positioned how it is give women an opportunity I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a huge success I mean part of the reason why you know what I really love about what we're doing is like real breakthroughs come through like different types of incentive competitions you know what I mean like I, I found this out like a couple months ago but like Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic because it was a $25,000 prize and and he was not he, like, he was laughed at 
at the time as part as an aviator. Like the intelligentsia of the aviation world thought that Lindbergh was a clown. So the innovators of tomorrow could come from any background, and especially with content creators, where now there's so many tools that it isn't a limitation of some very you know specific technical expertise or how much money you have in the bank. Completely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 awesome. I mean, any time that there's talent in the world and there's a new technology, and then that talent is given access, like there's an open access for that talent. Like, there's always breakthroughs. There's always creative breakthroughs. There's always innovation that happens. I mean, you know, look at something like Oculus Rift. It's freaking crazy. Right? And what was uh, Lionsgate's goal with uh, the the Twilight Partnership? I mean, I think there's probably a few, and I don't want to speak for them, but it's connect the fans to the material in a more deeper way, right? That's, whether we're making advertising, right, or we're making, you know, original content or whatever, like, to be able to include the people who actually give a shit about, whether it's a product, right? You know, we have these, like, care, like, people who love Care Bears are submitting ideas for the Care Bears on Toggle. That's just natural. That's the internet, you know? Um, So connecting those people directly to the process, like, giving them an opportunity, like, you know, I I uprooted my life because I wanted to work for Harold Ramis, basically, and and if I had the opportunity to write the Ghostbusters sequel, I would have, I would have, like, gone freaking ballistic, right? Because I love that material so much. And this is the same thing. And this is letting people in. And we've built a platform that lets people in. I actually sat, I was at Digital Hollywood yesterday and I sat through a panel on like deal making. And it was like, there's a lot of people being like, we, we, I hate getting unsolicited submissions from people. It puts us all at risk. And it's like, like that, that guy should have gotten a time machine and gone back 20 years. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I was there. And yeah, it's a burden and stuff, but you just don't have an efficient means because you want to chase scarcity because you got to go to CAA and you got to chase the same talent that everybody else is in town and you're going to pay a million dollars for a screenplay that's going to wind up in development hell. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I understand that that's the system that you live in, but to me it's like that's not the world anymore. The world is participatory. It's not broadcast. That's, that's the big change, right? You can only talk at people so much as an advertiser, as a content producer, as a movie studio without inviting them into the process because then they're just going to, they're going to move away from your product. Unless you spend a hundred million dollars to market it, and it's good. Yeah, it's, it has to be this giant, giant beast of a film. But you look at Amazon; they're kind of creating this open source narratives with uh, Kindle Worlds, where instead of video, as what you guys do, they just do these uh, books, and it's like you have this limitless shelf space, so they can have twenty versions of uh, Vampire Diaries and make it work. Yep, exactly. It's re- I think it's really exciting. I just think that there's you know it needs it needs curation and filtering, and that's kind of where we sit. And I'm really optimistic when you think about it. It's like you just you know there's all this talent, and, and breakthroughs are going to happen. Fa- the pace of innovation is going to continue to accelerate because you know look, again just look at look at the markets in general. Look at look at look at how new ideas are coming to life and, and coming to like um, you know like listen to build the first version of our application. I actually used Topcoder because I couldn't write a line of code and and didn't really have any money and you know was able to make it work because I was able to tap into a community of software developers. As the media is rapidly changing, where do you want Tongo to be in the future? I mean, I just, I honestly, my, my goal is to develop the best creative network on the planet, the best creative resource with the most opportunity and the most talent. If I do that, no matter what we're doing, it's going to be great. You know, I want the community to make more money. Um, I want them in, in different ways, probably like more participatory, you know, like, so we did this, um, I don't know if you saw this uh, Spitfire documentary project we're doing. So we partnered last year with a company called Spitfire Pictures, who, um, they won an Oscar a couple of years ago, a film called Undefeated for Best Feature Length Documentary, and then they did a couple of really high profile docs, amongst a bunch of other things, they did a film rush. And did. So they were like really great documentary filmmakers, 
producers. And so they, we work with them to run a Tongle project to make a documentary feature. We just got our first cuts back a couple of weeks ago, and you know I'm really, really excited for what we got back from the community. How is the community collaborating on this project? Well, they, the community came up with subject matter in the first round, and then it got developed more and refined more, and then directors got an opportunity to bring it to life, and, and that's where we are now, is we got first cuts, and stuff's good. So optimistically, you know, this stuff will premiere at, um, at the festivals in the early next year.